Whenever you rent or buy a video, you need to be sure that the film you choose is suitable for the audience at home. Do sit down. We're just about to have some tea. Ladies and gentlemen, please do not panic, but scream. Scream for your lives. Hey weirdos, the kettle's boiled. Welcome to Tea for Terror, where we take a favourite horror film and dissect it over a nice cup of tea. I'm your host, Andrew Graves, and my guest today has just seen a weird video, and now she's waiting for a call. Welcome back, Erica Bean and Riley. Hello. You going to say hello? No, she's not. She's going to make noises at the, when we don't want her to, rather than... When we do one or two, probably. <laughs> how how are you both doing? Uh, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. She's uh, seven months now, so trying to move around and being an absolute nuisance. And we've all been ill for weeks. So, yeah, not doing much of anything other than sitting and watching films. <laughs> seven months, bloody hell, seven months. That's flown yeah. by, isn't it? It has, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, she's looking beautiful as <laughs> ever. Well, there she is. <laughs> she keeps trying to grab my microphone. I'm like, no, no, you really can't have that. That you know, you can have anything on the desk within reason. The microphone is is a no go. So, um, it might sound like a stupid question, but have you have you been doing? Have you managed to squeeze in anything else writing wise while you've been uh, doing uh, your mothering bit? <laughs> um, not much, really. No, um, I did. I've done one review since we last spoke and it was for Thelma and Louise. Um, I don't think it's been published yet. There's a new Criterion release coming out in the next few days. So that should be up in the next few days. Um, but yeah, that's that's the only thing I've done recently. Recently, I've not had time to do much else. But yeah, I I think it's on BBC iPlayer at the minute, or it was. I'm not, you know what? I've not seen Thelma and Louise. I don't think I've seen Thelma and Louise since it came out. So what was that, 30 years ago? 30, yeah, something like that. Tonight, it was yeah. early, early 90s. Um, yeah, I hadn't seen it probably in about 20 years. I did watch it like when I was a teenager, I think. And I didn't really get it at that point in time. But watching it now, it's brilliant. It's a really, really great film. I really enjoyed it. So it was quite cool to go back to it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a really good um, documentary. I, it used to be on Netflix. I don't know if it still is. I, I don't have Netflix anymore. But... <laughs> It's called Misrepresentation. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, no, I don't think so. It's quite, yeah, it's really good. I mean, it'd be good to revisit it. It's um, it, it's got uh, it's obviously about sort of representation of women in films, but it's it's really interesting. It's really good, and you know, Gina Davis has quite a lot to say on there, and she's kind of campaigned mm. and done a lot of work behind the scenes on stuff. But yeah, it's really good. It's talking about you know. All that kind of stuff of the, you know, I obviously the, the different interpretations now and different ways people have used it. But that whole, the, the, it talks about this idea of, you know, on the surface, giving women more agency. Mm. But actually, they're still kind of sex toys for the male characters. You know, it's all, all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. really interesting. It's really good. Yeah, um, I think like Thelma and Louise really keys into that because it's like they kind of, you know, the one time they kind try and go and do something that's just for them, that's for themselves, it all gets completely screwed over by the men that they come across. And it's 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 sort of a perfect example of that. The thing I don't understand is how Ridley Scott was the one that directed it, because, you know, how did a stuffy old white guy make that movie? As much as I love Ridley Scott, 
he's an odd choice of director for that film. Well, it's weird, you know. I, I was talking. I can't remember who was talking to this uh, to about this the other day. But, you know, we're talking about um, Ridley Scott, and um, it's like one of those things. It's it's kind of like you know. I feel like with Ridley Scott, it's kind of like um, I always think like if someone says Ridley Scott, I always think yeah, oh Ridley Scott, I like Ridley Scott. It's really cool. Mm. But then I think about all of his films. I think no, I mean. I like Alien and Blade Runner. That's what I like. <laughs> I mean, I, Thelma and Louise, I've not seen for a long time. So I can't remember really. But, I, you know, it's a bit like Primal Scream. It's like people always say, like, oh, yeah, I like Primal Scream. It's like, no, you like Psychedelia. You don't like Primal Scream. Actually, stuff outside of Primal Scream, uh, Psychedelia is not, it's not that, uh, it's not like yeah. Google, Scream, Adela, sorry, Scream Adelica, sorry, not Psychedelia. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I do. I do. I think he's a very he's a talented director, but I don't. He, a lot of stuff he's done just bit bit meh. I think. I don't just. He's of... um he's one of those people where when he's given a really good script, he can make something great. But then he makes Hannibal, and it's like, what is this nonsense? Or um, oh, what's the other one he did? Exodus, Gods and Kings. Have you seen that? It's yeah. it's the it's the ten plague story basically, but. It, they're all white. <laughs> it's just the most bizarre thing. You've got, oh, it's not Sam Worthington. It's the guy that looks a little bit like him, but uglier. Um, oh, what's his <laughs> name? Um, anyway, he's he's a very American white guy and he's playing like Ramesses or something like that. And they've just put like thick black eyeliner on him. And it's like, how was this made in like the 2000s? Everybody, it's it's awful. It's really bad. I know it's weird. Uh, so I mean, some things are obvious, sort of clangers, and you think, well, that you know, people are going to get cancelled for doing <laughs> that sort of stuff. But then, uh, oh yes, I know, I know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's like you say, it's like how did how did how did how is this still a thing in the twenty first century? It's like yeah, uh, right. If I'm going to a certain place in Nottingham, I have to drive. Well, not drive. I don't drive. <laughs> if I'm on the bus or whatever, I go past. Hooters, and he's still there. I think, how is Hooters? <laughs> how is Hooters still alive and well in this century? I don't get it. Very odd. Kept going by stag dudes, probably, and businessmen, and you know that kind of demographic. Yeah. What are you whinging about? Yeah. Anyway, so very odd. <laughs> all right. Um. Yeah. So. Uh. So today we're going to be looking at a, a, a Japanese horror film later today. First time we've looked at a Japanese horror film on T for Terror. So we'll get back to that later on, the specific film. But in terms of um, your own experience then, so so normally when guests come on here, I ask them how they got into horror, but obviously you've been on before. Um, so yeah. I'm not going to do that again. So I wanted to ask about, um, you know, what was your first kind of uh, introduction to japanese horror or even japanese um, cinema really i mean you know yeah i mean uh, it probably would have started with ring actually um i'm not i'm not sure if it was that first or if it was battle royale first but it was when i was sort of in my teens in secondary school and um the tartan asia extreme label started releasing all of these j horror movies on VHS and, and DVD and they were popping up on like Channel 4 and stuff late at night occasionally as well and um, yeah so there was a few of those that I saw that way it would have been 
Ring definitely, Dark Water and the Ring sequels, Battle Royale, which I um, remember reading about in a magazine. And then when it, because things always took a little while to come out. It's not like now where you get them like maybe a month after you get the, you used to get them sort of six months to a year later back then. And when I knew that Battle Royale was coming out on VHS, I was walking down to uh, Choices, which was my sort of video rental place because I because I had no money. I used to buy X rental videos. They were the only ones that I, could, I would buy because you'd get like get them for like fiver. I'd walk down there and I was walking down every day with my allowance, which wasn't very much um, to see if I could get a copy of um, Battle Royale on video yet because I was so excited to watch it. Um, but yeah, it was sort of that was the introduction and that was moving on from like watching all the old kind of sci-fi movies, like sort of invasion, the body snatchers and stuff like that. And just sort of, it, it was a something I hadn't really seen before because they're so, I mean, I think when we look at Japanese horror now, you see the sort of creepy, creepy figures and the way they move and everything. That's kind of almost become like a horror cliche. Now you see it in everything. You see it all the time. But back then we hadn't really seen anything like that before. It was, it was kind of a, a new weird, creepy thing. So yeah, that was my kind of introduction to it. I, th I think, um, I think when J horror came around, um as it became j horror i mean that's kind of a bit of a cliche in itself now but i think um it, it, it i think the reason it kind of it, it it keyed in with a lot of people i mean obviously it was a lot of it was very very good but um i mean that that wave in the late 90s early noughties um it came. It came. Came at a time when I think you know. If you think so, you you you'd had all you, you you know your classic sort of horror films, American horror films of the seventies, and that sort of spilled into your slasher films of the early eighties. But then by the time you're getting towards the end of the eighties, the the horror, particularly American horror, is looking a little bit ragged. And even though you've got like these kind of small little enclaves of things that are doing interesting stuff, obviously Wes Craven came back with scream mm. which kind of subverted a lot of those kind of old tropes um wasn't a great deal happening i don't think in terms of american horror and I, so i think it came it was a the perfect time for it really because it really filled a gap and and also what it did i think though that that wave of japanese horror films they um it there was something, even though you had these kind of American remakes eventually, which I'm not necessarily knocking if it brings, you know, into a new audience, then that, that's fine. And I think if you've seen, if you've only seen the American version of Ring, it's 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 an acceptable film. It's OK. Mm. But I think what it is, it it's that kind of what you have with. Um, a lot of those Japanese films, which was sorely missing in a lot of American films from that era, was a sense of the uncanny, a sense of the unknown. Yeah. And there was something very untranslatable about it. And uh, which is, you know, which however you want to view those American remakes of those um, classic Japanese horror films, there is something that stays in japan you can't just transfer it it is about a different culture it is about a different mm. point um and i think it's interesting because if you go way back in time and you're looking at japanese cinema 
And if you look at like you know the beginnings of Japanese cinema, um, in in indeed the you know the the beginnings of cinema in general. Now we went very quickly from just kind of pointing one camera, and it being being there to capture almost a theatrical performance. And we soon went from in Western culture we went from having editing and 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 time shifts. Um, but interestingly, with Japanese cinema at the start of that, they 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 don't they kind of reject all of that, and they like they have always done in Japan. They have com they completely went their own way. In early Japanese cinema, you had um, they would literally film theatrical performances with one camera, uh, but they would have in the silent days they would have when they showed these films to public they would have what they called benshai who were people who would um narrate the stories that were happening on hmm. screen and a lot of times these benshai would become more popular than the actual film so people would follow not the films around but these these benshai depending on how good they were um and so they came into like editing and things like that later on but i think they've always done their own thing if you look at you know japanese monster films you know a lot of people mistake in the west particularly mistake those you know the god early godzilla film obviously we've had like godzilla minus one which is incredible um but a lot of people mistake those early godzilla films being um this idea that they were doing something cheap or it was a cheaper version of what they were doing in the west no it wasn't it was a complete rejection of what was happening in the west mm. it was a different art form and i think with that those japanese horror films that came in in the sort of 90s and early noughties it was again it was it was rejecting not i don't mean that in a willfully sort of uh belligerent way but th this idea of um you know rejecting um what was happening in in the states or wherever and, and creating something perfectly in tune with your own culture yeah i mean i suppose when you think about the 90s it was all the kind of um postmodern slashers wasn't it like scream and then you had like urban legend and things like that which are obviously very simplistic stories it's a whodunit at the end of the day isn't it it's very you know it's very pared back um there's probably more in common sort of japanese cinema if you were to look at american cinema it would be something like seven or something like that, where it's kind of procedural, complex background storyline to it. And there's a lot more of that. And also there's elements of the storytelling that wouldn't work. And, and actually one of the things that, that, that doesn't work in, in the remake is the fact that the, the you know, the, the broken family is one thing, and that is something that comes up a lot, but also the fact that the, the mother is so absent in the child's life in the story that it's sort of, in in the in the the original version, it's like it's just normal. It's shown as kind of that's just the way children are in Japan, and it's like they're very independent. You know, he comes home, he sorts his own dinner out, he gets himself ready to school, he helps her get ready, he, he gets her dress out for her, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like if if you had a family like that in England or in America, you'd be like, this is there's some red flags here. This is not this is not normal parenting. But I think in Japan culturally, it's it's normal and that's what that's how they raise their children is to be very independent and to be very self-sufficient and so it's like there's it's, it's just interesting to get this kind of view on family life and you know just the culture and how different it is that 
that just doesn't really it's just so different isn't it yeah and i think you know and again this is speaking in in general terms but it's almost like if you think about a lot of typical western sort of horror films or american horror films even there there is kind of a uh an obsession with dry you know kind of dry places like dusty old mansions or whatever whereas in japanese culture there, there are lots of links it's link it's very wet it's very linked oh, yeah. to water They're very damp horror films <laughs> yeah and it, it, it's all and i think that's because in terms of mythical sort of Japanese culture and, and links to certain religions and folklore, it's this idea of water, bodies of water mm. being this sort of link to the afterlife and, and the other world, if you like. So I think there's a lot of that. And obviously, when we get more into the chosen film, there are lots of um, uh, you know links in terms of uh, I- imagery which is definitely linked into that sort of mythology and those legends and those that folklore and sort of ghosts and things like that, which we'll get into. But also, I think the other thing about Japanese films, Japanese horror films in particular, is this 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 clash, this this coming together of the modern and the traditional. Mm. And it Definitely. is, you know, obviously with with a film that we're going to be talking about later, but all the way through, you know, even from, you know, the likes of Godzilla 1954, clearly, you know, this is kind of looking at um, a legendary sort of monster and sort of some of those kind of um you know that that kind of history, all this kind of folklore and all this kind of stuff, and then it's clashing with the modernity of the atomic bomb or the atomic age but all all the way through you know things like tetsu the iron man it, there, there are numerous examples of this in japanese horror cinema and i think it's a you know and obviously you know without wanting to go over old ground that's been talked about before you know they they are the only country in the world that has suffered two atomic blasts you know in a war situation so that is going to you know, that is going to change you as a country. That is going to make you a different country to, you know, wherever. You know, it's it, so all of this kind of stuff is pouring into it. And the sort, you know, like I said, the, the tradition and the culture and the sensibility of that that kind of that country and, and the people that, in, that are in that country. So all this is pouring into it, I think. I and mean, yeah, as you say, we'll go into some of this. There's a lot of sort of ghosts that pop up in the in the uh, in the films, but we can go into that a bit later. Yeah. So uh, I think we'll uh, we'll we'll go into the chosen film. So the film we're going to be looking at is. Hideo Nikata's uh, Ring from So Erica, when was the first time you came across this film? Um, well, I can't remember how I actually got hold of it. I think I recorded it on Channel 4 on video, as you would back then. Um, and I watched it 
by myself. I think my parents were off away somewhere. So I was in the house by myself in the attic, watched it on my old CRT telly in the dark. I was about 15 and it scared the absolute shit out of me. I think I slept with the light on. It was terrifying. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think I just read about it in a magazine or something and some, or somebody had recommended it to me and managed to get hold of it. I was very excited to watch it, not really knowing much. And then was like, oh, my goodness, what have I got myself in for at the, the end? <laughs> Yeah, I I think I I came across. I, it was my, my mate recommended it. I think I think he'd seen it not long since been out, and he kind of recommended it. So I I got you know managed to get a copy. And I think it, it, you know the thing about Ring is it's one of those films that I I know is 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 important to me because if I think back about it, I've had. A VHS copy. I've had a DVD copy, and now I've got yeah. a Blu-ray copy. You know, Same. yeah. <laughs> it, it's one of those things that's just just followed me for the last twenty years or so. You know, so yeah. And and I I remember. I mean, I quickly kind of went after. You know, not long afterwards, I managed to get to see. Uh, I saw Ring uh, Two and then Ring Naught, which we can talk about those in a bit. But uh, mm. yeah, I, 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 you know. I, I kind of in, sort of enjoyed those. They're all right. But I, yeah, yeah. Th- there is something very special about the first ring, I think. Um, the, thing, the thing that struck me when I watched it again the other day is how for a lot of the film, I mean, I, I can, not that I would agree, but I, I, w- I would understand why a lot of people wouldn't like the film. I think there are classic, there are really scary moments in it but i can understand why people might be you know might not see it as a classic if they saw it now for the first time because what i and this is what i like about it i think is what makes it work is that for a lot of it it, it it's just two journalists kind of going yeah. on it's just an investigation it's you know it's almost like you know it is a classic sort of two journalists trying to find the truth kind of film but you know but then you're thrown into this this world which nobody fully understands as well and even though they're trying to search for this truth and find out what was happening and what happened to this girl called sadako you know the the moments where it actually takes off and and becomes a full-on 99 percent horror film is it's still i mean I watched it again the other day. God knows how many times I've seen this film, but watching the scene towards the classic scene, which you know people have kind of used and, and copied or whatever, but where we we eventually see Sadako emerging from the well and then emerging from the television screen and crawling across the floor, and this these moves, as you mentioned earlier on, it it's still still incredible it's just an amazing scene Mm. yeah it's really it's it's creepy I mean I think I've seen it so many times that I don't necessarily find it scary anymore like I did the first time I watched it but you can still you can still enjoy it for the procedural element and that's why I sort of said it's kind of it's got more in common with like David Fincher films than where you've got kind of yeah there's the procedural and it's kind of investigative journalism like Zodiac and and things like that but then there's little moments that are 
fucking terrifying um dotted through it but there's it's only really i mean the opening scene and the end scene it's kind of bookended really with these two moments of horror and then the rest of it is is just the investigation um but i mean that's what makes it carry on working because there's the depth to it of storytelling it's not just about you know getting that little kind of that little rush from the horror that's not all there is to it there's there's more to it than that which makes it proliferate and keep being watchable over a longer time and you know yeah I mean sort of talking about the sequels and that they try and add these little bits of extra story in there but they don't really add anything they're not actually needed because you've got everything summed up in this sort of 90 minutes it's just a perfectly formed story that just works really really well even if you're not scared by it even if you're not there for the horror you're kind of pulled in by the story yeah no i was, I was gonna say that i think yeah yeah the, yeah you, the, what the sequels do or the pre whatever you know <laughs> adding this um these added layers of information you don't need it that's that's why ring works so well is because you are left with these question marks and it's just it's just an it's just an oddity you know mm -hmm. i mean just the actual video that they see with the eruption thing on and all that it's it's just how i don't even know how you even come up with something like that it's just mm. you couldn't recreate that really you couldn't think well let's do something like that there is nothing like that it's just fucking weird and it's really <laughs> fucking i mean even if you take it completely out of context and you just gave it literally just gave that clip and said just watch this it'd be like what the fuck is this yeah and you can see it on the, on the characters faces when they watch it at the end their faces are like did i just watch why did i put myself through that <laughs> yeah I, I i mean yeah i mean it, it's 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 i mean one of the things obviously like we said i mean the, the thing with this film it, it really keys into that idea of clashing the the modernity with tradition and obviously what we have here is the link between the sort of the other world or whatever it is and that the traditional ghost character if you like accessing our world through television or more specifically videotape or vhs or whatever so uh, i mean I, and again i think this song i i watched it again i mean i've got it on blu-ray but i watched it on uh i think just just for convenience because i was at my laptop i watched it on um arrow um you know arrow the, the arrow film player whatever mm. um and it, it's nice you know watching it sort of crystal clear blu-ray but there is all i think you know as as the film suggests i think this is kind of it is one of those films that you kind of should see on vhs you know and it is you know you should watch it on a a, a third hand copy if there's someone's <laughs> copy you know because there's something so so be, odd about it, it used to be with videos where like if you got somebody had copied a video for you every time it got copied the quality would degrade just that little bit more to the point where you can only just sort of make out the dialogue and it was just awful but even like even watching it on blu-ray though the way it's been directed is that it's so the colors are so stripped back and it's so you know it 
pared back and almost grainy and gray and so that, that it still has that kind of old vhs kind of quality to it still even even in high definition it still has a little bit of that yeah i and i think there's a lot in there as well um the way that the, the character moves is kind of which as you said earlier on has been kind of copied a lot it's almost become a cliche but in this film it was kind of like you know no one was came, kind of came out of nowhere particularly if you're watching it as it, it, you know if you're in the west watching it mm. but you know apparently it, it came from this idea there was um this this kind of dance called uh buto I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it was kind of this really strange, weird, exotic dance that was kind of inspired by the horrors of the all the stuff that had happened during World War Two. So there was kind of these sporadic, strange, weird sort of movements in this kind of this, this dance. Um, so I think they took a lot of inspiration for that. But also um, in in sort of Japanese folklore, you've also got this this idea of what's called a, and, and again, um, excuse my pronunciations, but um, a yuri, which is kind of like they are sort of ghostly figures from Japanese folklore. Um, but also, uh, but if you look at if you know if you Google in those images of the yuri and, and sort of Japanese folklore and ghosts what you get is like these older sort of paintings or these illustrations it basically is sadako you know this is this is kind of all based on it's all white robes long black hair um but i mean that i mean sadako i think you know obviously they took that idea and translated that into the american version and, and but i just think Again, there's something untranslatable. There's something about Sadako in Ring, and it's the the, the eye. There is something so. Hor I remember my mate, the, the the same guy that I was mentioning that had actually recommend the film to me initially. He'd uh, he'd managed to because it was fairly early days of the internet and computers, but he'd managed to print off. I don't know if you remember, we used to be able to get these, you probably still can, but you used to be able to get these um, this special paper you could put in your printers. And then if you got an image from the internet, you could print it off and then you could just mm. peel it off and you could iron it onto a T-shirt. And they, oh, they, right, they, yeah. they, they used to last <laughs> about like 10 minutes, you know, they, before they stopped yeah. peeling off. But right, if you wanted to do things like that. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you wanted it for one night, it was all right. Yeah. He'd done that and he'd got a massive, like just close up of sadako the eye and there's just something about that close-up it's 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 terrifying and i don't it's even know it's almost like it? the eye is like i don't know what they've done with it whether well it's just the way that they place the camera or they 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 kind of made the eye bigger in some way it just looks horrible yeah and um is there's this kind of like thread of kind of yeah what you're saying about mysticism and like the sort of the the ghosts and the and and kind of juxtaposed with the technology and it's like all the characters in it have got this kind of like low-key shining you know they're all kind of a little bit psychic which is odd when you think about you know the whole kind of VHS aspect of it and the, the technology aspect of it but yeah it all links back to 
that conflict doesn't it of the of, of technology versus modernity and 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 mysticism and religion and all that kind of stuff and I suppose part of that when you, when you sort of say about you know their history with World War II how much they lost in World War II you know just because of their their approach to warfare involves that they have a massively high body count anyway because they you know they'll go in and be like okay I'll die that's fine you know there's no culturally they don't have that kind of self-preservation that an American soldier or a British soldier would do so they would have lost so much through that and also through um the bombings that happened that you know historical things were just destroyed they lost all of this so they're kind of trying to claw it back through the culture and you know through what they make culturally but they're also they're having to rebuild and you know you can build something now and try and make it look old but it's not going to look old because it's not old that you can't recreate that so you've got all these memories of all the old stuff and you're trying to build the new stuff but it's all kind of under the surface of all these new shiny buildings and all this new technology and the fact that they've got all these you know skyscrapers and that they're making amazing technology and games consoles and all this that and the other you've still got that thread of memory that's linked into mysticism and you know the boogeyman that they were told about as kids or you know whatever the the equivalent was is was it, it it's all in there still you can't you can't erase that even though you know the visual the visual language isn't there anymore you know if the, the you know the images aren't there anymore you know the, the buildings are gone but the memory is still there and I think that's kind of a big part of what it keys into yeah no that's a really interesting point I've not really thought about that that idea you know particularly you know as you said, like, you know, in, in the aftermath of the atomic blasts, you know, some of those famous images of the shadow, you know, the, the way that you just get yeah. literally like the burned remains of the shadow. That is kind of, you know, uh, symbolic of this, this, even though the, the, you know, the past in some ways has been blasted away, literally, you've still got an echo of it there. Um I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting in terms of how different cultures, and again, this is that's, this is me generalizing, but if you look at a lot of British culture, I think, um, you know, in the post-war period, but right up until sort of 70s and 80s, and even if you look at sort of a lot of music, you know, obviously we're, we have, um, you know, we, we've produced our fair share of decent music in this country obviously you know um but if you look at a lot of 70s and 80s stuff you had a lot of time even though it might have been dressed up as glam or whatever there was a kind of you know if you look at a lot of those glam bands uh sweet and things like that which are brilliant but there's always there's always kind of this um you know you've got you've got a lot of those glam bands wearing sort of german memorabilia or you know this kind of stuff and it's almost like an obsession with the past because we won the war you know mm. uh, and it's almost like we, it was safe for us to have a nostalgia whereas if you look at german culture and look at german say music look at kraut you know the kraut rock of the sort of 70s and 80s that's very forward thinking it's not looking back at all. It's futuristic. It's using new technology because because they they were not afforded the luxury of being able to have 
to nostalgic to, to be nostalgic about the past and i think that there is it it's similar with japanese culture you know they took the idea of technology and the future and ran with it you know for a lot of time even now if we look at sort of technology and, and the next thing we we tend to look at japanese culture and japanese technology um but as you said, there is this also this thing of, well, not entirely letting go of the past. There is, but it's retaining certain elements of the past. Whereas I think, you know, in this country, we, we have completely made up a version of the past, which never existed. Oh, big which, time. <laughs> you know, which you, you can blame for, you know, I don't want to get all political, but, you know, if you look at, you know, the idea of Brexit and this idea of we can make it better again, and particularly in the States as well, you know, make america it never was it's just just, no. just let go it goes of that. Back. well that goes back to sort of the language of early kind of early british and american fascism doesn't it you know the sort of the britain first stuff it's the black shirts and you know make britain great again it's the language has been there since then so it's all it all, that all links back to that doesn't it i suppose Um, oh, yeah, so, okay, so I think we should talk a little bit about the plot for those that may be listening to this and not aware of what it is. In some ways, it's a fairly simple plot. Um, but then, as ever, there are these really interesting avenues and angles which they go off, which make it also complicated at the same time as being simple. It, it's, 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 you've got to kind of got to experience it to understand the simplicity and the complexity of this. So, I mean, basically what it is, it centers around the idea that, you know, there is a video tape or a recording being passed around to people. And if you watch this thing, you get a phone call and then you die seven days later. And there have been proven examples of this and people have actually died. So, um, and so what what deepens the plot is the 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 main the protagonist the female protagonist who has a young kid um what makes it terrible what what gives us this kind of ticking time bomb is the fact that her son has watched it so she is expecting uh, uh her child to die so you've got this added thing um but it is all kind of based on i think a lot you you tend to get quite a lot of this in american culture as well but i think in terms of american cinema um the horror film so you've gone from kind of the slasher film um and they tried to add sort of different but you you tend to get um uh, there was a there was a, a rash of films about the idea of the these kind of weird sort of um urban myths or whatever and i think i think this this taps into that as well but this is a much scarier much more effective version of that i think yeah i mean they used to get um those emails didn't you that would be like you know you have to pass this email on or in seven days this ghost will come and get you and that's basically what the premise of of, of ring is i don't know whether those emails came first or the film came first but it's it's the same idea um and yeah there was a there was a slasher movie wasn't there called urban legend that um was somebody carrying out you know the two kids parking and you hear the scratching on the roof of the car and it's the boyfriend hanging over the car and all that kind of stuff you know it's it's all a bit naff really it's but it's fun but it's naff um but yeah i mean it's it's that whole kind of thing of to to escape 
from Sadako, you have to sacrifice somebody else. And it's like, do you do that to somebody that you like or that you do you tell them that that's what they need to do, that they need to pass it on, that they need to keep paying it forward? Or do you trick them into doing it? Or, you know, there's this whole kind of moral conundrum to it once once um, Reiko, the main character, works out that's what she's got to do to save her son. And it's like the only reason she finds that out by accident because she's shown it to um, her ex-husband and then he's died and she's like, well, why didn't I die? And it's because she'd made a copy and shown it to him. So it's like, her, you know, she's inadvertently condemned him. So now she's like, right, okay, how do I, how do I, how do I save my kid? And I think what the, and she doesn't just show it to a stranger. She 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 goes and shows the videotape to her dad, and it's like, I fuck. I know that's the thing. It's that it's that phone call. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm on my way. Uh, can you do me a favor? Can you just dial yeah. me quick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you do. Um... You do like your grandson, don't you? Yeah. Well, you might need to do something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can understand the logic in a way because obviously, you know, he's an older guy. It's not as much of a sacrifice as you know a younger person or whatever. I can understand that perspective, and again, I think that's a very a very Japanese view on it, isn't it? It's like you know, it's sort of a lot of sort of Asian cultures. They once they get a bit older and they they would just go for a walk and not come back. I think in some sort of in some cultures in some places there. So it's you can kind of you can understand the logic, but it's still, it's your dad. <laughs> it's dark. It's very, very dark. Yeah. I mean, I'm 53 and sometimes I'll go for a walk and, and forget to come back. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I would too. <laughs> Especially when the kids are screaming. Oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, one of the other things is kind of like uh, what really does kind of impact this film i think uh, not not just um unique to this film i think if you look at a lot of films from that era i think people forget i mean you kind of almost look back at decades and you look back at things and and obviously we have even though we know the truth is much more nuanced than that and and much more complicated we kind of tend to put decades into boxes or at least parts of decades mm. into boxes so if you know i mean people tend you know we tend to create fancy dress costumes out of decades don't we you know if you say yeah. 80s to someone you know if you say oh you're going to an 80s fancy dress party they'll probably dress as madonna or something like that you know if you say 70s yeah. they'll probably go at some sort of bastardized version of mark bolan or whatever flair or whatever <laughs> you know but obviously the truth is is much more complicated and straight you know if you look at the beginning of the 70s compared to the end of the 70s it looks like a completely different world you know if you look yeah. at the beginning of the 80s compared to the end of the 80s it looks like a completely different world because things change and i think one of the things that is weird about modern culture and i, I mean like you know today i think that um i think that obviously technology is moving way faster than than a lot of us can even comprehend but i think aesthetically we've we've stagnated if you look at a photograph of someone or you know an image of someone from 10 years ago it's not really going to look any different the mobile phone might be slightly bigger or smaller or whatever that's it 
you know, cars look the same, clothes look the same, everything looks the same. Whereas 10 years in other decades kind of spanned, they look very different, you know, like 1972 is a different world to 1978, um, you know, aesthetically. Um, but however, I think what people forget is that the mid to light, late 90s were a strange kind of place um you know i mean in this country in particular we we went through the kind of weird upheavals politically you know we went from having you know a, a long serve you know as we've got now a long serving tory government and then that changed you know in 97 and things kind of changed and i think there was you know depending on how you looked at it there was this kind of weird thing in the 90s where everybody kind of felt a little bit safer you know find you know yeah. i'm not saying there weren't faults and there weren't things that were wrong of course there were but it's kind of like i can't remember worrying about much in the 90s i was slightly bored i think but i, I don't can't remember <laughs> worrying about much um but also uh, i mean that's to do with my age as well i was a lot younger then but i think that it's looking back at it and particularly if you look at films from the late 90s is that you forget now because everything's social media, everything is linked to one digital device in your hand that you carry around in your pocket at all times. Everything is connected. It it's weird that we had the internet. We just I remember getting like broadband in like ninety seven. So we got like broadband. We got the internet. We got like emails and things like that. No social media, um, or or, or not not social media as we know it now. But also at the same time as that, you 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 know, people are still smoking in pubs or still, yeah. uh, you know, or at the same time, it's still VHS technology. It, it's kind of like a really incongruous time looking back. You've got all these things. It was the last sort of time where we had kind of a lot of things, more traditional stuff uh, mixing with kind of new technologies, but none of us really understanding what was happening. But also not not necessarily. I think there's a, there's a kind of panic about technology now sometimes. But I think, you know, with AI and stuff like that, quite rightly. But I think then it was kind of like, hmm, I've got the internet now. What does this do? <laughs> yeah, you'd go and like you'd download a song, and it would take you like half an hour to download a single song, and you'd be sat there like, I've got this new song by this person, and like a lot of the time the the metadata on it would be wrong as well. It'd have the wrong artist name or whatever, and it was yeah, it was a very very odd time. But it was like yeah, it was sort of it was the nineties was very peaceful. I mean, I, I was very very young, so it would have all been kind of gone over my head. But I remember moving from like John Major to Blair and all that kind of stuff happening but it kind of all changed in like 2001 didn't it because you had 9-11 happened and then that influenced film in America where you suddenly got this wave of partly disaster movies and then also hyper patriotic movies and you know sort of that changed things there and it was like you, things like disaster movies changed didn't they after 9-11 you went from like the 90s era of things like Volcano and the um oh, what's the other one it, like Independence Day and things like that where it's like yeah Team America woo we're amazing and then you got th things that were a lot darker and a lot more subdued and it was like that was kind of 9-11 was almost their Hiroshima wasn't it it was kind of it changed their landscape in a way that they couldn't have anticipated 
And then, I mean, for us, I suppose the equivalent would be the July 7th bombings, but I, um, they were horrific, but not to the extent, I don't think, of something like 9-11. They weren't as world-changing as 9-11 was. No, I think I think cinematically you, you kind of like, uh, you know, we went, like you said, we went from like Independence Day, this, this I mean, I love Independence Day. It's ridiculous. Great I love it. Um, <laughs> to, from that to Cloverfield, you know, Cloverfield's a dark. Fucking love film. Cloverfield. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, it's great. But it's, it, and again, you know, you can, you, you know, if you look at something like Batman 89, that's a very, that's a very 80s, very, very 80s film. You know, it's very bright. Yeah. You know, all this kind of it's dark and gothic, but it's also bright at the same time and, you know, multicolored and all this Tim Burton fantasy esque stuff. But, uh, you know, when it comes to Dark Knight, you know, a post 9 11, batman film i mean you know that is kind of uh the joker is very much ptsd in human form isn't he he is that, yeah. that's the you know this is a, a country that really cannot cope with this you know cannot cope with what's happened and cannot cope with how the government or whoever cia whatever you want to look at it is is coping is 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 dealing with this situation in making its own citizens you know feel like prisoners within their own country you know it's you know you know people forget how many rights um civilian rights were kind of thrown away you know under the the patriot act uh, patriot act and stuff like that you know it's just gone and it's never coming Mm. back you know you may never have another um disaster like that or a terrorist event like that ever again but those rights have gone they're they're not coming back it's uh yeah it's a weird weird thing but i think you're right i think you know um obviously japan had had that that's that's part of their history you know whereas it's still fairly a new thing to america and i think they're still kind of getting around it and you know cinematically like i said you know the shift from you know your independence days to cloverfield and that darker stuff yeah and it's interesting there's um adam curtis adam curtis you know you know adam curtis he does like these kind of really good documentaries um no. which are kind of summing up sort of modern culture but you know he talks about this this kind of 9-11 thing and it's almost like if you look at those disaster films that came in in light of that they are almost not necessarily um deliberately but you know because you, you know cinema doesn't really happen in a vacuum it's it's influenced by culture and what's happening in in society you know a lot of those disaster films that came after 911 were very much you could argue as being sort of psyching the Ameri- psyching up the American people for what was about to come and what America was about to to unleash on the world. This, you know, this kind of big horrible, you know, creating these uh, enemies. We have, you know, that is is the thing about not just America but our culture as well. We have to have enemies. We have to have enemies to keep the war machine going, to keep the money coming in, to keep the tax dollars coming in. You've got to keep yeah. creating these enemies. You know, if it's not, if it's not, it's not a Soviet communists. It's you know brown people in the Middle East or whatever, or you know Russians or whatever it is. You know, it's all. It's got to keep. Got to have an enemy. Got to have. Got to be enemy. scared of somebody. We've got yeah. to be scared of somebody because it means that you keep voting for the right people, don't you? And it's like 
Yeah. And it's, I suppose you're saying about technology as well. It's fascinating that the the first you know, you're saying about Cloverfield, that it's a found footage movie and you're talking about this loss of freedom. And it's the fact that everybody now has a camera in their pocket. And I think like Cloverfield almost kind of saw that happening before it happened, if you know what I mean, because it was like it was just a coincidence that somebody happened to have a camera in the plot of that film. Whereas if you were to make it now, it would be everyone would just get their phone out as soon as shit starts going down you'd be like oh I'll get my phone out and film this and put it on YouTube or well reels or TikTok or whatever it is people do these days and so it kind of anticipated that lack of privacy that you have now that everybody has a camera in their pocket and yeah. the, the how easy it is to just keep sharing and proliferating things because it's like they did one of the ring like American ring sequels I think it's called rings and it's based on like an internet version of the video, isn't it? And I haven't actually seen it because it looks terrible, but um, it's like, I can't imagine it working in the same way because it doesn't have that tactility to it that you have with like a videotape that you, you know, you put it in the machine and you press play and you sit there and you really engage with something like people did a lot more before you had this constant stream of visual information being thrown at you all the time yeah i mean i mean you mentioned there like one of the sequels remakes or whatever i mean how much have you kind of invested in those sequels prequels whatever um I've seen Ring 2 and Ring Eye. I actually watched them both this week. I tried watching Spiral, which is the original like Ring sequel, the, the Japanese one. And basically, it the entire film was people talking about stuff that happened in the first film. It's one of the most boring things I've ever watched. I only managed about an hour of it and that literally nothing happened. It was so dull. Um, Ring 2 is pretty much the same. Lots of people rehashing stuff that happened in the first one. Ring O is interesting in that it really humanizes Sadako in a way that I'm not sure if it works or not. It, it's odd. The remakes, I don't mind. They're okay. Um, the biggest issue I find with them is that they're massively over-directed. Like they're so hyper-stylized and it's like you've got this you can tell like the, the the videotape that they make in the remake is so like oh this means this this means this this means this represents this and it's like they tease out every single bit represents something and i don't feel like that really was what the original one was about it was literally just a stream of consciousness it wasn't so much a you had to tease out every little element of it um and it was so clean and shiny and lovely and then you know when the the you know the big scene at the end where the guy gets killed she's like she's not just a person anymore she's like a ghost with like a gray face and a you know scrunched up growly face and you actually see it and it's it it's it just feels very overcooked I think when you when you watch the remakes and in a way that changes the impact of them i think yeah like i said i it, it's the sense of the uncanny that's what i, I will always you know I, I don't i'm not i i don't mind kind of more visceral sort of more obvious forms of horror I like a good slasher sometimes i like you know things that you know splat movies and things like that mm. 
which don't really leave a lot to the imagination. That That's fine. But really what I am most attracted to and why I am, I gravitate towards horror films in general is you is are those films that have this sense of the unearthly or the uncanny almost that the hb lovecraft effect almost it's something that you can't explain something that doesn't have to be explained because it's just it just is weird i'm not going to explain yeah. why it's weird and if you don't get it you don't get it that's fine but I, that's what i want and that's the moments in this film in ring the original um like I said, you know, I've seen the American uh, first American remake, and uh, I, I just I don't I don't. If, like I said, if that's the only one you've seen, I'm glad people enjoy it. You know, it's okay, um, but it's just not. I'm not going to be one of those people that say, "Oh, you know, well, it's a remake." I'm very stuffy about remake. I'm not. Some of the best, but horror films have been really good remakes. You know, uh, but I just, however, there's just something about that first. The original Japanese film, um, it, 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 you, you can't you can't replicate it and you can't reproduce it. There's something about the uneasiness, the strangeness, the off how off kilter it is, and and just how odd it feels. You know, just those shots of the well that we get at the beginning. You know, all you know this kind of this these hints, the fact that it is so grainy and and is so obviously been copied and copied and copied and it's just just you can't make out certain things that the letters on the page jumping around the eruption thing it's just not mm. you can't you can't really describe you know if you see this is what i mean you, you could imagine with the remake you know a writer's room full of people it's like well how do we how do we do that how do we tap into an american audience how can we and you're missing the point if you're trying to explain this you're missing the point it shouldn't be explained. It should be just there. It's a feeling. It's creating a feeling. It's not there to to offer you any sort of literal explanation. No, and it's like, yeah, the videotape that they made in the remake is very much like an it's like an art film. It's like they've gone into an art installation and made an art film. You know, it's like you've got this ladder against a white wall and then it falls over and then it's like, <laughs> what does it represent? It's like I don't know <laughs> stuff something but it's not that's not really what the original one was about and I think that whole kind of the 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 better thing to have come from ring in terms of like more mainstream filmmaking and what we're more likely to see here is is films that aren't direct remakes things like it follows and smile kind of but not as much but um, it follows especially you can see that that there's a major link there to ring and it's a much more successful film than one that tries to actually just copy it because it takes something that's you know about youth culture and it and and american culture and you know and stds and all this kind of stuff and uses ring as a jumping off point rather than actually just copying it it's it's putting their own culture onto it so that's yeah. it's much more successful and I, I think you know you can have say american remakes that work really well you know 
I the first time I saw Solaris was the American version, and then I went back to the Soviet version later on. You know, obviously you could you could argue the Soviet version is superior, blah blah blah. But I think what they do with the American version is that they're not trying to recreate the so you can't. What's the what would be the point in trying to recreate a Soviet era science fiction film from the early seventies? There's no point. What you can take is the initial idea from the original novel and some of the elements of the film original film but what you do is put it into a very american film which taps into american culture and taps into american fears and taps into that overly therapized american culture you know that's what really if that's what works about the american remake so you can do it but like you said it's not and where America or even British remakes or whatever, where it will fail is where you're trying to replicate someone else's culture. You can't really do that. You have to tap into what's happening in your culture and your your immediate surroundings or your society. That's what's going to, you know, as I've said before, you know, um, Barbie, you know, whatever you think about Barbie, it's a huge film, huge success. Obviously, there's this controversy with the Oscars this week, which I won't get into, but I don't really talk about the oscars it's, the oscars <laughs> is always bollocks you know this idea of, oh, suddenly the oscars is a load of bollocks it's always been fucking bollocks um but you know barbie you know like i've said he's barbie tapped into something and what they and what, what they tapped into was not what's now being misinterpreted by other producers how can we you know let's uh what which Mattel product can we exploit next? That's not why it was popular. No. no. That's just part of the reason why it's popular. But the main reason was because it was, you know, it's original, it's innovative, and it was had it had something to say. Uh if you've got nothing to say and you're just doing another Mattel product, then it's no one it's people aren't going to tap into that. Um no. Have you said just as a uh, uh, an offshoot? Have you seen? Uh, of course, it's a Japanese film. Have you seen uh, Godzilla minus one? No, I haven't. It's not been showing anywhere near me, and the only screenings I can go to at the moment are the ones that they let take, they let you take babies to. Um, <laughs> so I'm very limited by what the local indie cinema puts on, and they tend to go for like the old people movies. So I've seen The Great Escaper and things like that recently at the cinema more than I have stuff that I particularly want to see, which is a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if you do get to see, I mean, if you get to see it on a streaming site or whatever, or if it comes out. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be buying it when it comes out. I'm really excited to see it. It's really good. And it taps into a lot of what we we're saying earlier on. I mean, obviously it's set literally just after the second world war uh, and you know and the aftermath of that so it's tapping into a lot of that um but it, it just looks incredible i'm not entirely sure how they do it obviously there's cg involved but it doesn't look like your normal cg film it looks fantastic really really great um yeah i loved it it's fantastic so yeah uh i envy you that you've not seen it yet so i'm, I'm gonna buy it when it comes out as well um yeah okay i think i think we've covered it um so have you got any plugs not, nothing coming out no i'm really boring at the moment i'm afraid so yeah not much going on if you want to look at my instagram there's basically baby pictures on there but you know that's about it really that's any, my life. any more babies no <laughs> never again i'm done thanks very much <laughs> You've, you've done your you've done your Torah duty. I'm uh, closed for business. 
um she she's lovely so um uh yeah so uh, as always please uh follow us on facebook and if you can if you get a second if you listen to this podcast and you like it uh please write us a, re a nice review because that would help with our distribution and it'll just help to get our name out there and make more people listen to it um so it just remains for me to say a thank you to erica and riley you're very welcome she's well, not saying anything she's not saying anything you know no stunned once. into silence <laughs> um yes so, so, so thanks for coming back on uh another return guest been lovely to talk to you again always always a pleasure never a chore yeah. um but <laughs> remember <laughs> to call round next time make yourself at home you look like you're dying for a nice cup of tea for terror and remember my friend Future events such as these will affect you in the future.